Uh, every year, I take a sheet of paper, maybe you do as well, and I go to a coffee shop, and I think it's, it's time to sit down and think of all the terrible things, I, I, all the things that I'm terrible at. Does anybody feel that way? Like, New Year's resolutions, resolutions are really this list of things that we're terrible, terrible about, and we want to get less terrible at, right? So it's like, I don't go to the gym, so now I want to go to the gym every day, six days a week, and have six-pack abs. You know what I'm saying? You might want to, you might want to read the word every day and you're like this is my this is my goal right and then all of us get disappointed in that right and so each one of us come with these goals these new year's resolutions but I, a couple years ago I had a kind of a revolution in my way of thinking as I entered the new year and what I realized is that I really need to be asking better questions and those questions are who am I who does God say I am and what has he put in my life that I need to steward well those are better questions then how do I get less terrible about a, a couple things all right because what we see is that we need to refocus our approach to our lives I want to throw up this slide your identity should impact your doing not your doing impacting your being okay your being should impact your doing not your doing in impacting your being I believe that this reframing helps us not get a list of worldly goals but rather a list of who God created you to be and what he wants you to step into. Amen? Wouldn't it be way more powerful if we get a reminder in the New Year's of who we uniquely are and what God is calling us to step into than just, I want to lose 10 pounds. Maybe you want to lose 10 pounds. There's nothing wrong with losing 10 pounds. But if you're missing the vision that the Lord has for you, you're missing the opportunity in 2024. And so that's what we're faced with today because we are in a new year as a church. Anticipation should be filling up this room because it's filling me up right now. Now there's also this. We're in a new season as a church. I spoke with all the leadership team a couple weeks ago and I said we as a body are actually in a new season. All right, This marks a new season. It's time to hit the ground running to bring even more people to know the Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now what we see is that we are a church or organization but we're really just a bunch of people. Like when you really think about the church. It's just a bunch of people coming together and pursuing the Lord together. But it's all of us saying, who did God create me to be and what do I pour into this thing called the church, all right? So we're in this new season. And in this new season, we got a prophetic word as the elder team that this is going to be a season where the Lord is going to lay on your hearts things that you have a burning passion for and we get to come alongside you to see that come to fruition, all right? Many times people come to the church and they say, the church does everything and I show up when I want to. But the Lord's saying, that's not how this is going to operate. The Lord is saying that I'm going to place things in my people's hearts that are going to advance the kingdom in Lakewood, UP, Tacoma, Spanaway, wherever you live, DuPont, and we are going to move in a powerful way, okay? Now here's the problem with that. It's going to take a whole nother level of leadership. And that doesn't mean me leadership. That means each one of us leadership. Each one of you are called to have an identity, to have an influence in some area. Some of you, it's, it's uh, maybe you're leading a whole organization. That's one thing. Some of you are like, I don't even know what I lead. I guarantee that you have influence in people's lives that you can do. Some of you are going to have new vision 
visions placed on your heart and in your mind. And you're going to have to wrestle and discern through that because it's going to take leadership. All right. Each one of us, I'm calling you to the next level of leadership in your life. Okay. This is what we're going to be doing. This is our new series. We are going to go through the book of David and we're looking at how do we become a church after God's heart. All right. A church after God's heart. Now, what does that mean? Again, let's break it down. Church means you. All right. Church does not mean me. Church does not mean the elders. Church means you. How is your heart aligning and after God's own heart? Look at this. We're going to look at King David over the next 12 years, 12 months, 12 weeks, 12 years, months or weeks. You never know. My brother, Rabbi Brinson here, he could do King David on 12 years. Trust me, I can't. <laughs> Acts 13, 22. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, about whom he also said, bearing witness, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. David is this incredible character in the Hebrew scriptures because his reign is actually a relief to the people, okay? His leadership is refreshing to the people of Israel. And so after centuries of other models of leadership, they simply did not work. We get King David. Now what's interesting about this line about King David is that it's pulled from the book of 1 Samuel and it was said to about David, but it's a prophecy to another person. Did you know that? So it's actually not said to David. It's said to another person. And to, to understand David, okay, we have to understand Saul. Okay? To understand Saul, we have to understand Samuel. So we got a lot of scriptures to get to. So let's dig in, all right? Because what we're going to see is Samuel was a prophet and a priest and the last judge of Israel. And Samuel has an incredible story. Look at it in, 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 uh, Sam, or in Samuel 1. So Samuel was born to Hannah, but he was really raised by a priest, Eli. And so Samuel starts hearing from the Lord. He starts hearing from the Lord. And the first thing that he has to do is he has to go and tell Eli that his sons are completely corrupt, all right? Think about this. Sometimes when we hear from the Lord, it's not what we want to hear. Can I get amen? That's the other thing. I think most of us get shied away from hearing from the Lord because oftentimes it's not like, hey, this next five months are going to just be peaceful and calm and you don't have to do anything. Oftentimes it's go do the thing that you don't want to do, all right? And so he's going to, uh, throughout time, Samuel's going to hear from the Lord. He's going to intercede as the priest and he's also going to get promoted up to be the judge of Israel. He's going to be the leader. Now what we're going to see is there's a bunch of, of, of scriptures here, but we're going to go through that lead us to David. So 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 5. And it happened when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second was Ab Abijah. They were judging in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways, but to, uh, but turned aside after greedy gain and took bribes and caused justice to turn aside. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the other nations. All right, Samuel was a great guy 
And so, but his sons, not so much. And so the tribal lead leaders of Israel come and they say, look, this form of government is not working for us anymore. All right. And so let's do something different. And Samuel's no spring chicken and his sons are not good enough to lead. And they say, Let, let's do something different. We've been trying this judges thing for way too long. And our neighboring peoples, the other people groups, they have this thing called kings. So let's try that. It seems to be working for them. And so the, this, this little thing called kingship begins to think, happen. Now the problem with it is that Israel was always called to be distinct from other nations. They weren't supposed to look like other nations. And so this proposed move was motivated not for them to look more like God. This move was so that they looked more like the other people, okay? And by doing this, they had a desire to look more like other nations. And they seemed to be working on what other people thought or what other people were doing. And so it says this. It says that they wanted a king in accordance or according to what other nations had. And it says next that Samuel was displeased with what they wanted. But he takes the request of the Lord. So 1 Samuel 8, 7 through 9. Then Yahweh said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all they, they say that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them out from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing so to you also. So now listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly testify to them and tell them of the customs of the king who will reign over them. All right. Having a king isn't necessarily all glory. All right. That's what the Lord's saying. And so these verses speak to one of the significant themes in the Hebrew scripture. The Lord's saying over and over again, I am the one who have always been there for you. I am the one that took you out of Egypt and I am supposed to be your king. All right. So this is the groundwork. The Lord's saying, I've done all this for you. And I was always meant to be king of one, all right? No one else. I was supposed to be your king. But they wanted something different. And they wanted something to make it look more like the world. I think there's a pattern in this world that's true of us too. Do you feel that way? Yeah. When we think about New Year's resolutions, right? We want to be different while desiring, serving, and choosing the things of the world over the things that God has for us. God desires you to have one king, so our lives are supposed to look different. But we say we want this Jesus thing, but we also want one foot in the world. We also want to serve the world. We also want to look like our neighbors. We want to keep up with our neighbors. We want to do the things that they get to do. But the Lord's saying, I'm one king. And you get to choose to serve me or not. And so one of the things is you can't be half in, half out. But we see the Lord says to Samuel, listen to the people, but warn them. There are consequences to their demands. And what we see is that in our own lives, the people's demands of God is an outward expression of a spiritual problem that's happening within them. Most of the time, what's happening to us on the outside is a spiritual problem within us. Amen. We try to solve things on an outward sense, but inside is where we need to go. Amen? Amen. Most of what we're doing is a worldly mindset. Not who we were really meant to be. And so we fast forward to Samuel, to the first king. Remember, you understand David... 
You have to understand Saul, and you have to understand Samuel. So now let's get into Saul. 1 Samuel 9, 2-3. Now, he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkey of Kish, who's Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to, the son, to his son Saul, Take now with you one of the young men, and arise, go and search for the donkeys. Two things you will never hear about me. You are the tallest man in Lakewood and you're the most handsome man in Lakewood, all right? This dude is a dude, okay? We see this. Saul is young. He's handsome. He's tall. You read into this. He comes from the tribe of Benjamin, which is the smallest, but the, his father, Kish, seems to be of means, all right? And so what we see is this dude was built to be a king. He, he, from the outside, he was set apart. Again, Israel has been asking for a king, not to look more like God, but look like other nations and it appears that they're going to have the best looking dude that they could get all right and so we see this the only problem is he's young handsome and tall but he's got to find his family donkey so let's go in there they came to the land of Zuf and Saul said to his young man to his young man who was with him come and let us return lest my father cease to be concerned about the donkeys and become anxious for us but he said to him, Behold now, there is a man of God in this city, and the man is held in honor. All that he says surely comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey on which we have gone. Then Saul said to this young man, Behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is gone from our sack, and there is no, and there is no present to bring the man of God. Who, what do we have? So three days, they're out looking for this donkey. No luck. It's time to get back because dad's going to be worried, right? And so the, the servant says there's this, this seer, this, this prophet, this Samuel is who this is, okay? And he said, let's go see them because he might tell us where the donkeys are, right? That's the, the vision. And so three times Saul tells him why this won't work. But Samuel, at the same time, is getting this word from the Lord that th this young man is coming and that he is going to be made king. And what he's going to do is he's going to save the people from the pesky Philistines. And Samuel is going to be the young man named King. Now the Lord, even when the people aren't pursuing righteousness, it says that he heard their cry for a king. And so he, they gave them, he gave him Saul, okay? Now, for three days, he's out looking for a donkey. He's going to return back home, the king of Israel. Think about that, all right? Things just happen to this dude. This is the first anointing of the king. Now, why does this all matter? Well, remember, David is called a man after God's own heart. This line in Acts, this term comes from this moment talking about Samuel, okay? So, it was 1 Samuel 13, 4. But now your kingdom shall not endure. Yahweh has brought out for himself a man after his own heart. And Yahweh has appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept what Yahweh commanded you. This is said to Saul from Samuel. Okay, so Saul gets anointed king. Some things happen that we're going to look for. And then this word about David is actually given to Saul. So how did we get there? 
And what can we learn from this? As we study David and the attributes of a good leader and a man after God's own heart, we think about leadership, and we oftentimes think it's about the doing, but it's really about the being, okay? To be a great leader, to lead the things that God wants you to steward, it's not about the doing as much as it's about the being. And so we're going to see in David's life what it's called to be a good leader, but we're also going to look in Saul's life and see how it went wrong, okay? Because what's important is that there's no doubt that David is a, is a guy after God's own heart. But David's not even born when this prophecy comes, all right? So what it's saying is it's revealing something about Saul, all right? It's saying there's going to be this, yes, David's a man after God's own heart, but he's not perfect, right? But what he does with it and how he, he responds to being not perfect is so different than Saul, okay? For all of his people, let's see this. The first thing we see is not for just Saul, but it's the people. And the first thing we see is to be aligned with God's heart. We can't also be attached to worldly desires. All right? To be aligned with God's heart, we can't also be aligned with, God, with, with worldly desires. Young people in the room need to hear this as much as anybody. This is a getting old person thing, all right? I'm 40, so I'm officially in that camp. There is a pull to worldly desires, and it's so hard because you're, to, to search and to seek the things of the Lord, it's going to be so hard to hear through the noise of the world. To understand, we have to go back again to the king in the first place. Israel's desire was not inappropriate. Monarchy was not the problem. It was that they wanted to do it how they wanted to do it, alright? So when we look at this, their desire, right? One, their desire was that they demanded a king. And the time, they demanded a king now. They don't seek the Lord and win, right? They demanded the king now. And third is motive. They demanded a king to be like all other nations. How much of how we operate with God is like these people. How much of it is the desire of our hearts? How much of it is the desire to make it happen when we want it to happen? How much of it is our own motives that we may even mask as the motives of the Lord? How many times do we convince ourselves that the Lord is moving in this area, but it's really our motives that we want? There's a desire and a time and a motives problem in each one of us hearing from the Lord, all right? And so we see that. When we sit down and think about goals or we think about who we are, we have to say, what do you desire, Lord? What is your timeline? What are your motives within this? What do you want to have? happen in my life, all right? Our ambitions should never look like the world. And our main concern with personal choices should not be what the world thinks or what would make us more successful in man's eyes. That is not what we're called to. It is always, always, always about living a godly life and doing all that we can with what God has steward, has put in our hands to steward, all right? The next thing we see with Saul, to be aligned with God's heart, we have to be and do what he says. 1 Samuel 13, we see the reason Saul's kingdom won't endure forever is because he has not kept what the Lord has commanded him. Look, Saul had moments of seeking God. He did. He had positive qualities for sure. And Saul's reign was also marked with disobedience of God's commands. And when he disobeyed, there was a lack of genuine repentance. And there are multiple stories of this, okay? 1 Samuel 13, when Saul, uh, Samuel delivered 
delivers a word to him. Right before Samuel delivers the word that there's going to be a new king that's raised up, we see that this, 1 Samuel 13, 1-7, Saul was 30 years old and when he began to reign, and when he began when he began to reign, and he reigned forty-two years over Israel. And Saul chose for himself three thousand men of Israel, of which two thousand were with Saul in Michmash. And in the hill country of Bethel, while one thousand were Jonathan, Saul's son, at Gibeah of Benjamin. But he sent away the rest of his people, each to his tent. And Jonathan struck the garrison of the, uh, the garrison of the Philistines. And there was in Ge Geba, the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet and throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Then all of Israel heard the news that Saul had struck the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become odious to the Philistines. And the people were, there, they were then summoned to Saul at Gilgal. Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people like the sand, which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped in Michmash, east of, east of Beth Haven. But the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed. Then the people hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, and in pits. They, and, also of the, and some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. So Saul is doing what the people of Israel wanted. They made him king, and he's fighting the Philistines, okay? And so Saul and, it, and, 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 uh, Saul and his son Jonathan take on the Philistines, and they see success. But there is a counterattack that happens. And what happens is the Philistines mount up, all right? They bring some dudes. And so what we see is the Israelites see this overwhelming force coming, and they are like, this is not going to end well, so they desert. They go and they hide. They actually, some of them actually leave the promised land entirely. And verse 7 says they were trembling, meaning they were literally quaking in fear. Okay? Now this is the setting. 1 Samuel 13, 8. So he waited seven days according to the appointed time led by, set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul has this word of God. He's operating that Samuel is going to come back in seven days. And again, we see a timing issue that's taking place. And when, it, when there's angst in time, does anybody ever feel this? When there's angst in the time, when the Lord's moving, we see fear starts to creep in, doesn't it? Fear for me is a time problem. I've found that in my life. It's not that I have a fear or it's not that I, that I don't trust the Lord within it, but I need it to happen a little bit sooner than it's going to happen. Amen? And so what we see is that fear begins to creep up and you feel the Lord calling you to do something. You have a season where God is saying, wait maybe, but what we say is that, it, it, that fear begins to change our perspective. Fear gets in the way of waiting. All right. So many times reflecting on my life, man, where I have just missed it. I was in the waiting season and in that waiting season, fear increased. And it's with the fear that's increasing in the waiting that I begin to operate in fear, not in faith. Whenever we operate in fear, we are operating and following. And so we see is that following the ways of the Lord gets harder when fear enters. Does anybody ever feel that? 
1 Samuel 13, 9-13. So Saul said, Bring near to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he finished offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not entreated the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of Yahweh your God which he commanded you. For now Yahweh would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. And we see so often that fear leads us to partially follow the Lord. You ever feel that? Saul waited seven days. And Samuel, he comes in the seven days. He just doesn't come at the start of the seven days. And so Saul begins this burnt offering, this peace offering to, to the Philistines. And Samuel doesn't hold back. He's like, what have you done? And we see Saul doesn't respond accepting and repenting. We see instead he responds defensively. And he blames three other people groups for the things that he's doing. Right? So he's like, look, I'm going to blame the soldiers because they ran away from me. I'm going to blame uh, Samuel for not coming in time that I thought he was going to come. I'm going to blame the Philistines because they're the ones that are assembling like crazy. And he does this. He said, I was forced to do this. I was forced. I had no other plan. There's nothing else that I could do. This is not my fault. He had no other options but to perform the sacrifice in his head. Despite the promises from the Lord, he feared the Philistines would attack. In the logical sense, that's what he's facing. I, I get it. I understand. So he thought he was doing God a favor. Fear often leads us to work on our timeline, not God's timeline. And then it oftentimes calls us to blame others for our disobedience. Sometimes it causes us to make bad decisions. Amen? The third thing we see is for Saul is to be aligned with God's heart. We have to own our own faith. We have to own our own faith. Let's look at 1 Samuel 15. Once again, God speaks to the prophet Samuel, who says to Saul, you're going to completely destroy the Amalekites. All right? And so he says this. You're going you're gonna to do it. All the possessions are, are going to be gone. This is divine judgment that's coming your way. However, again, Saul doesn't fully obey God. And so he keeps the king and he keeps the best of the livestock. Okay? And then we see this response. 1 Samuel 15, 24 through 31. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed trespassed against the command of Yahweh in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Uh-oh. So now, please forgive my sins and return with me that I may worship, the, worship Yahweh. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of Yahweh, and Yahweh has rejected you from being king over Israel. Then Samuel turned to go, but Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, Yahweh has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the eternal one of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. 
Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship Yahweh your God. So Samuel returned following after, after, after Saul and Saul worshiped Yahweh. Saul admits he sinned. It says this, he admits he sinned. He listened to the voice of people over the voice of God. How easy is that for us, right? And he falls on his knees and begs, but again, he misses it. He first asked Samuel for forgiveness. He's like, forgive me. But he, the Lord is the only one that can forgive. So he's, he's trying to operate through Samuel. But he also see this, that he says, he says Saul, or he, Saul says to Samuel, come with me so that I can worship the Lord. Again, he thinks that he has to operate through Samuel and so Samuel ducks out and Saul grabs him and begs him and he says Samuel again come with me and then we see this and return with me that I may worship Yahweh your God your God not my God he once again doesn't take ownership and he wants this all to happen so he can be in a place of honor again with his people he does it because he wants to be seen as holy. Some of us come to church because we want to be seen as holy. We want to go through, some of us go through the motions because we, we maybe have always been brought up this way. We think that there's something special, but it says Samuel goes with him and Saul worships the Lord, making it look like Saul has undamaged relationship with Yahweh. I, I believe that we are heading into a season where the hungry are going to lead this church. And what I mean by that is there's no more going through the motions. There's no more operating outside of someone else's faith. Some of us come to church because you always came to church. Some of us come to church because your spouse brought you here. Some of you come to church because you somehow think it makes you look more holy. And the Lord is saying that's not how this is operating. For us to be the church that's after God's own heart, you all have to own your own faith. And it doesn't have anything to do with me. It doesn't have to do anything with the elders. It doesn't have to do with anything with your spouse. It's time for you to own your own faith because the Lord is speaking to each of us, but we're operating through other people. The Lord is not interested in you going through the motion. He wants you to have faith, to live by faith. Your faith is not faith by association. All right? Your faith is not faith by association. All of us have influence. In 2024, I want to challenge you not to start with what you need to change in your life or what you need to do in your own efforts. I want you to ask, how can I be a more of a man or a woman after God's own heart? Some of us need to change some things in our lives to operate that way. So this is not that you don't do some things to, to rearrange your life. This is a what question are you asking first? Who has God called me to be? What is He's calling me to do? And how am I supposed to steward the things that he put in my heart? Some of us have been disobedient in some ways. Some of us maybe have heard from the Lord and we've let fear come in. We've, we've let other people's voices come in. We've been too busy trying to make it happen ourselves when maybe he's saying, wait, right? It's all about asking these, these important questions. Some of us have been blaming our disobedience on other people. 
Some of us have church hurt 100%. I understand that. I'm not lessening church hurt by any means, but it's time for you to take your faith and say, Lord, speak to me because we're now in a safe place. And he's saying, I want to advance the kingdom through you. And you can keep blaming your old church or you can keep blaming your parents or you can keep blaming whatever it is. But he's saying, I want you to operate in vision, not in looking in the past. Because then David's going to get called. And I want everyone to hear this. Look at David's calling. 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehem light. Oh man, I cannot say that. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. When they came, he looked at Elab. And he, said, he thought, surely the Lord anointed, anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not a man as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel goes through all the brothers, one after another. And all of them make options that make sense. All of them, Jesse's got some good-looking boys, all right? But nothing. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are your sons here? Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. So Samuel says to go get him. And the Lord says, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brother, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed on David from the, this day forward. God cares about your being, not just your doing. Each one of us. It's not about what you look like on the outside. Again, I'm not the most handsome and I'm not the tallest in Lakewood, but the Lord is going to use me to advance His kingdom. Each one of you, the Lord is going to use you to advance your kingdom. And the Lord is speaking to each person differently. That's the thing. This is the Lord's sovereignty that we're looking at, right? The Lord is speaking to each person differently. Some of us will have major influence. Some of us might be called to start new ministries. Some of us might be called to uh, lead another church who even knows what he's going to do. I'm anticipation of what's going to happen. Some of us, it might just be, I want you to love your spouse well. I want you to raise these kids well. I want you to serve in the children's ministry. Whatever it is, but if not, if we're not listening to it, if we're coming with a list of things that we're supposed to do, we're completely missing what the Lord has. And he's saying, I don't care about the outward appearance. I don't care if you don't have the skills. I don't care. In your weakness, I will be made strong. But it's if you're listening to the Lord and what He has for you. Because He's saying, I want at Redeemed Church for the kingdom to advance like never before. You're entering a new season. I'm, I'm, I'm advancing in a way that you have not seen before. But it's going to be raising up leaders. It's going to be people that say, no matter how timid I am, no matter how my, I stutter, no matter how I can't say certain words, no matter what I, I don't know, He's saying, the Lord's place in His heart what if we did this? What if we started to move this way, right? Uh, a couple weeks ago, th this, this word came to the elders. And, and the next Sunday, somebody came to us and said, I want you to discern with me because I'm feeling like I'm supposed to be going and serving in, uh, in uh, retirement communities or, or in um, um, uh, different places, right? And, and she was like, I know that this is from the Lord because I don't want to do it. Do you ever feel that way? <laughs> To go into nursing homes is a tough, a tough work. But God is stirring something up. 
God is some, do, stirring something up. And when she, she said it, it's like, maybe, maybe it's not like the most grand plan that you've ever heard, but who knows how many people will come to know the Lord in a nursing home? How many people will hear from the Lord or, or will say, I've, I used to go to church, but I've lost my faith, and maybe we can lead them back to it. But the Lord is going to, each one of you, He's going to give you a vision, no matter how small, no matter how big. But if we're not asking the right questions, if we're worried about our belly fat more than we are hearing from the Lord, we're going to completely miss what we, He has for us, okay? Amen. So here's my question for you. Are you spending time this new year? And I, I just came up with some questions that I go through. So throw those questions up. Spend some time thinking through these questions. Who did God create me to be? Each one of us are unique in the skill sets and the passions and desires that he has for each of us. What's beautiful, if you remember, in the body, each one of us have uh, different body parts that we're supposed to be. We operate as one body at this church, but that means that each one of us is going to have desires and skill sets and things that the Lord is calling you to be. Each one of you were created wonderfully and uniquely, and he's going to speak to you on what that looks like. Next question, what is the area is he calling me to lead? Don't overthink this question. There were seasons where he's calling me to lead this church. Who knows how long this is? Maybe he's at some point he's going to say, I need you to just lead the boys well right now, right? We're all called to lead things at different levels, right? But maybe he's calling you to something. And so you just got to stay open to that question. Then we ask, what are you calling me to do? Again, once you get the being right, you understand the doing. But oftentimes we started the doing and not the being. But if you don't know who you are, if you don't know who God created you to be, you can come up with the list of doing and completely miss what he's trying to do. And then this fourth question is the hardest question. Where is he calling me to wait? Many of us have promises that we have heard or things that we want to change in our lives that we're trying to rush through and the Lord might want us to walk through it. He might be dealing with you and building you up for the next season in your waiting. He's been building us up downstairs in the small room in the lobby. Amen. He's been building us up. We're going to look back in 10 years and miss that season in our life. Because he was building us up in the waiting. He was building us up in the challenges and the pain and the sorrows and all the things. He's going to use all of that for what's next for you. So Lord, where are you just having me waiting? I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't look at the outward appearance. That you look at our hearts. And Lord, you know everything about us. You know our innermost thoughts. You know our pains and our sorrows. You know what's happened to us. You know all the disappointments, all the worries, all the anxieties. You know everything. And out of those, out of those weaknesses, out of those pains and sorrows, out of those challenges, out of those insecurities, 
You say, here's what I want you to do with them. Lord, I pray that you would speak to the people, Lord. As we reflect on our 2023, as we reflect on our 2024, will you plant in us new visions for our lives? Will you speak to our hearts? Will you speak to what you have for us? I'm just going to come Holy Spirit. Just spend some time in, in quiet time with the Lord. Come Holy Spirit. Speak to people. However small it is, it might be the smallest thing you've ever heard, but the Lord might say, this has significance. Megan and I started coming to this church seven years ago because we felt the Lord, as we were driving by, say, just go there. Didn't seem significant at all, but it changes the way that this whole church is supposed to operate. Then, Lord, will you speak to your people on who they are through the power of the Holy Spirit? Who are they? Where are they misaligning what they think about themselves that you never meant them to think like that? What's a lie that they've agreed with? What's a sorrow or disappointment that they have allowed to rule their life when they were never supposed to let in? Lord, we repent of where we let fear take over in our lives. We repent. Where we listen to other people's voices, we repent when we didn't wait and we move forward without you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you redeem all things in our lives. We thank you, Lord. Thank you that your Holy Spirit speaks to us. Praise your name. We lift you higher in this house. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.